Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon, in Sound of Play 59 for the first time as a Sound of Play guest is Andy Hamilton. Hello, how's it going? Hi, Andy. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. It's the first time we've spoken for quite a while. I think it's the first time we've ever spoken uh, unsupervised as well. So That's true, yeah. It's a good point. Who knows what could happen. <laughs> uh, but it, I did re- I realise that it was uh, it was when you, were, uh, you and Sean Bell were with Dark Zero that we first uh, spoke, and that was five, five years, five and a half years ago. God, I think it might now. have been longer than that. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, when I was on Gamerdork, a mm. former podcast for those who don't know, and uh, Andy was part of Dark Zero, which is still... Mm-hmm going but without without the without the good people there's a lot, and, of, um, a lot of big names have passed through dark zero over the years yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> um and more recently of midnight resistance but yes. as i understand it no more is that, is uh, that kind of i mean like the general gist of it is everyone really likes the podcast and people like the podcast being regular but yes. uh, due to my new job not not in like a negative way or anything but um uh, I work a lot of nights and yeah. that's when the recording schedule is. And if I wanted to be an ass and continue to be on every single podcast or it's not going to happen, yeah. then we simply would not be able to keep up a bi-weekly recording uh, sure. schedule. So yeah. I felt like I had to martyr myself. I mean, I am the podcasting Jesus Christ after all. And yeah. um, I have jumped on that grenade, so to speak. And um, I mean, Just like Jesus did. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and um, yeah, I've put myself in a position where like, I will still appear on Midnight Resistance from time to time, but oh, uh, I, okay. ca- I cannot... Um, you cannot commit. ...commit to a-, a schedule that would keep the listeners happy. Yeah, so. yeah and actually it is true that... Um, uh, I'm often surprised, and I can say this because it doesn't affect our podcast because we are we are regimented uh, mm. with our schedule, and we have a we have a large team which enables us to 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 stick to it. Um, we we tend not to miss a date, but I am surprised and somewhat uh, disgruntled when I read iTunes reviews of other people's shows where they are complaining about sort of irregular schedule, and I think they're not the guys who make these things aren't being paid for it and you're mm. not paying anything to listen to it so i think actually sort of taking to itunes or the internet to complain about uh an irregular schedule seems a little entitled to me but uh but you know um equally as a fan of of many a podcast i know that it can be frustrating weight uh between yeah. between shows and um but you know like adam buxton recently had some holiday and I was sad to not be listening to Adam Buxton every week but when he came back it was like hey Adam Buxton's back that's nice and uh yeah so yeah his holiday wasn't like six months so so I can't, oh, that's true. I can't really speak for Midnight Resistance's recording schedule occasionally <laughs> so yeah that's true it has been you you have had some inordinately long gaps yeah, exactly. um, but yeah we're back to like um we're, yeah. we're back and uh, the guys are back to um yeah uh, yeah fortnightly essentially and yeah yes. it, it's it would be poor show of me to hold them to ransom to my schedules at the minute, just because you know new job and all that kind of jazz. Sure. It's, um, yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll probably be back on it before you know it. Good. We'll talk about your new job in a bit. But uh, first mm. up, obviously, listeners will have enjoyed. Well, they will now be sort of exiting a, a dense fug of. Uh, <laughs> And th- that track, more than anything else, uh, Horse Stepping by Sun Aurora that we opened the show with, mm. um, reminds me of the feeling of being hotboxed. Uh, it's just it's, like... That's exactly what it is. It's um, yeah. it, like 
I mean, Hotline Miami does have that kind of like sort of drug haze over the whole thing, you know, the kind of hallucinogen. The whole thing feels like a big, long ass acid trip. And this song, which is the first thing you hear when you start the game, really sums it up. And it also has this like amazing, like calm before and after the storm sort of quality to it. That, I mean, everyone knows that. The, the thing that everyone knows about Hotline Miami is the kind of really repetitive, hard techno that plays yeah. while you murder a room full of people and die repeatedly and go at it again. And there's this kind of like repetition and the music really drives that home and an intensity, which the soundtrack also manages to drive home as well. But this song, it, you know, it's it's the it's the intro sequence. It's the first thing you yeah. see when you start the game. And um, it's surprisingly mellow. Mm. But, it, but also slightly sinister. Yeah, but at the same time, it feels like the definitive kind of like end credits music as well. It feels like the aftermath of something. Uh, and um, it also, without... What's the spoiler policy here for the game? I assume people well, played it. <laughs> uh, I should say, uh, you know, skip forward 30 seconds or whatever if you don't want Hotline Miami spoiled. But uh, if or you want sequel, to hear... for that matter. <laughs> oh, or, the, or Hotline Miami too. But if you want to hear Kana Rince talking, or, and including Andy as a guest, mm. oh, yeah, uh, talking true, yeah, all about Hotline Miami, uh, check out our podcast issue 150, mm. uh, which was Hotline Miami. But yes, you might want to jump forward if you don't know the end or, or, or the plot and don't want to know what well, happens. But uh, Andy, what are you going to say? So the um, Hotline Miami, the story, the whole thing through one and two, um, it ends with the nuclear destruction of Los Angeles. And um, like, sorry, Miami, LA, America. And um, the hot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that bit. And um, again, there's this kind of like weird post-apocalyptic, like like everything has been destroyed. It's calm. It's over feeling yeah. to this yeah. song. And right. um, I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't bookend the series by playing it at the start of the first game and at the end of the, uh, of the second. Okay. I think that would have been really nice touch. But um, I get, I get, from like a personal point of view as well, um, I used to live with uh, Louis P of uh, Savvy Gamer and the Kane oh. and Rince episode for Binding of Isaac fame. Correct. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the first things uh, he did when I moved in that I can talk about on the podcast was uh, he handed over a copy uh, of uh, Hotline Miami like that was right. like an, an alpha state. Um, it, mm. I think he got it through the... Um, What's that indie thing where they every year? Yeah, I saw. This is where I saw Hotline Miami for the first time. Uh, oh, I saw it at. Um, it was at Rest for the first time. Rest. That's yeah. where I saw but, it. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I can't remember what it's called. It's like the that indie game awards thing, and okay. you, you can apply to be an um, like a judge. The G I D C or something. I don't know. I D G I. Uh, something like that. It's so, like a big yeah. international. Listen online. to us, industry experts. Yeah, exactly. And um, he signed up to be a judge, and it was one of the games that he'd been sent. But it was in like an incredibly alpha state. Yeah. Uh, and he was just like, like I know your tastes. You have to play this game. Mm. And he was absolutely on the money. And it's one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. And me and him got locked into a considerable score battle war. <laughs> over yeah, that summer thing. and this is like six months before the game came out as well mm. and there was a point for that summer where you could not come into our house and not hear this song 
playing yeah. from one of our rooms. You know, like like it'd be on pause, and one of us would go make a cup of tea or something like that, and you know, or like we'd just boot it or something. But like this song is pretty much synonymous with that period. Yeah, yeah uh, it, it it certainly conjures up the atmosphere, and um, yeah, I'm I'm curious. Uh, I don't have a, a deep relationship with Hotline Miami. It's a game I intend to go back to and try properly someday. But um, I know there was a lot of conversation around what is the the best way to play. So you obviously would have been playing that early version on PC and probably before they even mm. implemented any controller support. Yes, so it was, yeah, I, I understand exactly that it. the purists will say keyboard and mouse is the way to play Hotline Miami efficiently. But um, but obviously since then, of course, it's been ported over and done incredibly well on, on uh, multiple console systems. Yeah. So how do you feel about the keyboard and mouse versus uh, the, the controller? I used to be a bit of a snob about it, but sure. some of my best scores have come playing it on the Vita, so... Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, it might just be because I'm incredibly talented, but that... Or very well practised, <laughs> at least. That, that aside, um, that both versions are amazing. It's like, you know, I mean, a lot of it's just going to come down to personal preference. I mean, in fact, I would prefer to play it on the PS4 now because the, the mouse and keyboard yeah. setup I have for my current PC is shocking. So, mm. like, it's it would be detrimental to what I would be trying to do. And you mentioned that Hotline Miami 2, wrong number. You said the end of the series is so... So that that series is definitely ended. That, oh, 100%. I've yep. spoke to the guys who made that game and um, right. I don't think they want to do another. Interesting. I wonder what they're working on now. I don't mm, know if they've apparently revealed there is, any there's, nuggets. There's something in the works, but who knows what. Yeah, I guess... Um, although the first game was... Uh, met with a more positive reception i guess the second game still probably uh more than made money but uh it wouldn't surprise me yeah yeah uh listeners in case you've only joined us recently we had uh one of the uh composers whose work was featured uh for hotline miami um and that is jasper Byrne. and i spoke to him for a good hour or more maybe it was two hours mm. even on uh, sound of play 42 and that is well worth a listen because he's a real um it's a really nice guy and a real video games enthusiast yeah. and multi-talented um i mean yeah. his uh his music he uh was essentially commissioned for the game that's as well. right but um yeah th- this song specifically kind of I had to ask you to see if it was allowed on this oh, yeah. podcast yeah. because it's it's actually by Sun Aroa and it's um yes it is a piece of music that existed before the game and uh I guess like Hotline Miami is a really good argument for the um the whole like curation of music for your game yeah and by that I don't mean like they've picked 30 songs to go on the FIFA soundtrack like, yeah that's you know, exactly like because that that should not appear on a podcast like this but like the music for Hotline Miami I mean I suppose if you were like really into the genres around you may have heard some of it especially with the sequel with like acts like carpenter brute on the soundtrack like a lot of people had heard that music beforehand yeah. but um like i guess like the guys um uh jonathan and uh, dennis uh they i guess they um they went the tarantino route here yeah. and picked music that like really suited what they were trying to do and i guess yeah. like you know as much as everyone likes music that's been created for a specific moment in a game a lot can be said for when you pick the right piece of music oh absolutely yeah. i mean yeah. I, I, again I, I mean it'd be questionable whether you'd be able to use it on a podcast like this but slightly slight tangent is the way that their music was picked for brutal legend uh, mm. some of that was picked to fit moments but it's yeah that's it's, a trickier it, one yeah. but yeah but like in in this game it's um because it's like i guess it was like less known stuff it 
kind of took a life of its own because yeah. of the style of the game and the aesthetics and everything it it, it all worked as a whole and um that's yeah, it. yeah it's a good example of like when you do choose pre-existing music like th- this is this is that done to its highest level of effectiveness yeah this is that's our essentially our loose rule is is when something we believe is widely associated with mm. with the game that we're going to be talking about um we'll we'll make exceptions for quotes licensed music obviously we're still currently you know flying under the radar in terms of mm. actually paying for using any of this stuff but we feel like we sort of have tacit approval because we've had so many composers actually ask to come on the show and play their music <laughs> with us so including Jasper Burns so um but yeah uh I should have chosen I, one of his <laughs> yeah yeah um but no that's a that's a cool way to open the show uh, sets the tone um as ever with sound of play we'll be bouncing around the moods although i've generally gone for a slight vibe uh, with a slight um because i you know we, we i had you on i know I, I have a vague sense of what your tastes are so i knew there would be a certain amount of uh, heaviness and guitars and industrial stuff and that sort of thing so yeah, i slipped yeah, I f- in a few requests in there that sort of match and i feel that we had to build to that you can't yeah. just you can't just go straight in no, you've absolutely. got to give the listener a chance to come aboard and prepare yeah. themselves. Turn the iPod up mm. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but as usual, we'll be interjecting with requests from the community. And our first one is from, I have to say, uh, I'm a little bit taken with this particular contributor, the stunt lady, because she may have the coolest CV of any Kana Rinse or Sound of Play listener. Uh, I saw her name on the forum a while back, and I think we've we've... Uh, done one of her requests before I just thought very little of it you know it's an online handle she's called the stunt lady but um, she tweeted us a few days ago and she is a stunt lady and not only that but she's in loads of really big films as well so uh, (laughs) she's been in Captain America Civil War she's done several series of The Walking Dead she's done um, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 Furious 7 although she wasn't credited in that one Um, currently working on Baywatch the uh, the reboot Uh, her name's Maya Santandria and uh, yeah we're we're very proud to have her as a fan Um, if if listeners you think you've got a cooler CV than the stunt lady uh, by all means let us know what you do we know we have listeners in uh, loads of really great developers Valve and Rockstar and, and places like that and and indies as well and that's wonderful but I got to admit, I do get a bit of a kick out of the idea of us being our shows being listened to on the set of, say, Captain America: Civil War or something like that. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, uh, the stunt lady is also uh, quite into video games, as you will hear with this request. She says, "A year ago, a little game called Undertale completely stole my heart. I've already requested my favourite track from the wonderful score by Toby Fox, but I'd like to draw attention to another, perhaps my next favourite." There are two previous arrangements of Megalovania, the original from Radiation's Earthbound Halloween hack, and another for the webcomic Homestuck. Each have their individual merits, however Undertale's version is where I think it reaches perfection. In Undertale, this piece essentially becomes sans boss music, and I can't imagine anything else accompanying this fight, which triggers only if the player has reached the lowest depths of depravity. If you have slaughtered every innocent creature in every level of the game and blackened your soul beyond saving, you eventually end up facing Sans, a once fun-loving jokester whose friends and family are now dead at your hands. 
You expect to fight. You encounter sheer madness. Sans' arsenal of attacks is bullet hell insanity, further emphasised by Megalovania's hammering rhythm, dizzying pace and bombastic instrumentation. This auditory pounding drives on relentlessly while Sans tauntingly dodges your every move and delivers an assault that switches gears almost as quickly as the music. This is precisely why I love this track so much. It not only highlights the fury and frenzy of the battle, it also flawlessly reflects the player's mindset as an evil, heartless murderer, the true villain at this point in Undertale. So grab your knife, have a bad time, and get dunked onto the fantastically unhinged Megalovania. Unhinged It Was, Megalovania by the ridiculously talented Toby Fox. I've started playing Undertale. For my uh, sins, I have not played it. Okay, well, here's, this is uh, this is the opposite of a Cane and Rinse review. This is the, <laughs> I've played two hours of it, and I'm currently still um, working out my feelings on it. Um, I think I may have made a mistake in the way I'm playing it, because I'd read about the whole playing it three times through thing um so yeah the idea being that you there are there are three ways to play there's a kind of half and half way which is probably how most people will do it first which is where when you meet monsters you engage with them you talk to them uh you kind of try and negotiate your way out of fighting them and, and whatever but obviously because the game kind of hooks you into thinking it's a standard 
RPG, you obviously end up fighting some people right. and, and killing killing some off, and then that's when scenarios such as the the intriguing and unusual one uh, that the stunt lady tells us about pa- plays out. But I read about this whole, and you can actually play the entire game without killing anyone. So I started playing like that, and I think maybe that was a mistake. Yeah, um, because it sounds like I'm dishonoured. Like going, right. yeah, go, <laughs> yeah, going okay. in with like a pre-existing idea of like, oh, I want to achieve this. Y- yeah, you don't get the natural rub yeah. that you should get from it. And in this case, it it completely changes how the characters interact with you right. and how these fights play out. So I'm, so I've, I think I've spared everyone, and it, in a way, that's interesting because it makes it a puzzle game because you have to work out the sequence of ways to interact with these enemies, and it's okay. all, it's, everyone's different. So it's whether you talk to them or flirt with them or compliment them or or tell them a joke or something. And there's different. You have to do a different number of things in a different order to. Uh, make them make it possible that you can uh, spare them basically and le- let them leave the fight rather than you running away. Um, but because I've been being nice to everyone, which is you know in some ways my preferred method of play, um, and because a lot of the enemy characters are very cute and, and likable, um, I'm now in this situation where the fights are really really unchallenging. So I'm not experiencing this bullet hell stuff uh, which is where you control your little hitbox heart Mm. and you just dodge it around these various uh, um, sort of almost it's like sort of bullet hell warioware in a way in that uh, it's a tiny little screen where you're um, avoiding various incoming objects that can be anything from um, dogs or bones or (laughs) stars or um, and and it tends to be thematically uh, linked. So anyway, but my point is, without reviewing the whole game, I think it's a game we'll almost certainly cover on the main Kane Rinse podcast at mm. some point because there's a lot to talk about. Um, after two hours, I'm a little bit bemused. It's one of those where I'd read all the reviews. I've seen that, you know, the average review score is like 94%. And I'm two hours in and I'm thinking, huh, well, I'm, it's nice, you know, but and maybe it'll be that I'll, I'll always feel that way. And maybe it's just that the humour doesn't gel with me and maybe... It's just not quite for me. But at this point, I'm I'm a, I'm genuinely a little sort of uh, confused as to as to as to the rapture. But actually, the stunt lady's post there sort of helped me understand it a bit more. How she fell in love with the characters and the writing and all that sort of thing. So I will carry on. I will get to the end and uh, and maybe even play it through again in a different way to to see what I think. But yeah. I'm always hugely. Like I, 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 you know, I, I tend to not tweet loads about games that I am currently playing and and in the middle of, but um, I have actually, you know, I've gone to social media about Undertale, just say I'm playing this really famous indie game and I'm slightly bemused by it, but everyone's done the thing of you know stick with it, stick with it, don't 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 right. don't judge it until you've played the whole thing because. Uh, because there's more to understand. So I absolutely will, and I always always want to stress with. Uh, projects like this where it's one guy who's done everything yeah the graphics the writing the programming and the fantastic soundtrack i'm just like i'm in awe and humble to the efforts and skill of people like that because i i just haven't got the the chops for all those disciplines <laughs> it's just it's so impressive to me 
Now, changing tack again. Uh, this, I think, is my favourite of your picks, Andy. Uh, I yes. haven't played this all the way through to the end yet, this game. I'm sort of saving it because I enjoyed the start of it so much that mm. I want to really immerse in it when I have the time, when the Kane and Rinse schedule allows, because uh, regular listeners will know we're currently doing the entire The Legend of Zelda series, which is quite time-consuming. Um, but I did get this for my birthday in the summer. I played the first couple of levels. This is Doom, or Very Doom, as we officially call it on Kane and Rinse, and this is the track that yeah i had a proper split faced grin when this <laughs> track bfg division by mick gordon kicked in for the first time i can only imagine andy that this this entire uh, project this doom 2016 is so far up your alley as to be uh, making itself at home in your house pretty much like you know when people talk about like getting like emotional in games yeah be be that like Air dying in Final Fantasy VII, yeah, or spoiler. like Dom in Gears of War, or whatever, <laughs> something terrible, yeah, like tragic moment. I'm pretty sure the first time I got the Berserk pack in this new Doom, very Doom, as you guys call it, and yeah. hit the melee button and forced my hands into the forehead of an imp <laughs> and just <laughs> pulled him in in half from there. I was, I, I finally know what it's like to experience like genuine like oh my god this game's gonna make me cry <laughs> like, Big joy yeah it's yeah. um dead doom is it's 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 up there in my game of the year list obviously and um in i guess like uh i i kind of love the fact that um after all the talk of development hell and stuff that it mm. went through for like you know you excuse the pun um the uh the fact that the game that we got in the end was uh if you really think about it quite a simple game it's um it's a series of rooms where you have a big encounter with a bunch of dudes you kill them and then there's some corridors that you walk through and then there's another room and the guess what the door locks and you can't go into the next room until you kill all the guys but it's just that despite that incredibly simplistic structure the it's almost like it's forced them to get the killing of the guys right (laughs) so yeah so true and 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 they've absolutely nailed it and uh, like you know again this is something you really would talk about in the main cane and rinse thing but part of me thinks that uh maybe the development hell and having to start it again at such a Mm. late stage forced them to go do you know what let's just focus on these basics and i think back that it, to basics yeah, yeah and i think in many ways it's it's they've absolutely nailed it but in terms of other things they nailed getting mick gordon to do the soundtrack was yeah like such a smart move i mean uh he did he did the stuff for wolfenstein uh the, the wolfenstein reboot um which has a couple of moments in it uh, like when you're escaping from the prison camp yeah. Um, which it just becomes an all-out assault, but uh, much to fit the tone of the game, there's a lot more lighter moments in the Wolfenstein soundtrack as well. But that that specific track where you do escape the prison camp, he got in uh, the guitarist from Misuga, yes, uh, to yes. play on it. So he, he, you know, he knows his metal chops, obviously. And he did a season one and two of the Killer Instinct soundtracks, and yeah. I mean any one of those tracks I could have picked for this mm. as well. Um, something that we'll get onto in a bit. Um, mm. Uh, and again, a lot of that was just like a, a serious industrial metallic assault. Um, so when I found out he wasn't doing Killer Instinct season three, I was a bit 
oh no, that 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 is a blow because his music is exceptional. But then I found out it's because like you know he was doing Doom instead. I was like, all right, yeah, yeah he's if you're not gonna get Trent Reznor to do it, this is the guy. Like, and um, yeah, his kind of like let's be honest here, his insane like intense industrial metal that he kind of delivers is a perfect fit for this kind of game. Um, but a pro tip for anyone, if you haven't actually started playing doom yet is go into the menus when you start and turn the sound effects down by about 20% and turn the music up because when you're walking around the corridor areas, there's not actually any music anyway. It's just atmospheric effects. So you don't, you can, you know, the sound effects are fine. And when you hit those, in you know those rooms where the door locks and you have to kill everything that's when the music kicks in mm. and it's actually a lot lower in the mix at first but having right. something like what you've just heard kick in at like yes. ear bleeding volume when you're suddenly yeah. tasked with killing a room full of guys in the most violent possible way is it really adds an edge to it but um yeah it's exceptional an amazing fact about mick gordon as well as he tweeted mm-hmm. recently saying oh he doesn't someone asked him like do you listen to any modern metal bands he's like no he doesn't. He doesn't listen to metal. Apparently, right. he just has, he's just gone that direction. Yeah, he's just, of, he off just, his own he, back. Yeah, yeah, he just just what he knows, man. Fabulous stuff. Well, we're going to let you have the full nine minutes of this. Uh, if it displeases you, that's how long you need to skip forward. But seriously, um, I, I can be very much in and out with industrial metal. Um, you know, I, I go back a long way to the late eighties with Nine Inch Nails, but I'm not a uh, uh, necessarily a, a passionate follower of the scene, but uh, but the work that Mick Gordon did on this game was, uh, yeah, I, it was a real crank it up moment. This is awesome. So yeah, check it out, BFG Division.
hope you're feeling suitably refreshed uh yeah so uh one day we will undoubtedly um cover very doom 2016 on the main cane rinse podcast but we did do the uh in 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 lead up to it we did the uh the old doom games starting with uh doom and doom 2 and that was back in cane and rinse podcast issue 211 yeah thank you and uh and then we followed the series through and we also did rage as well um because it's kind of related but uh for those of you who were disappointed by rage um i'd say uh put that aside and try very doom anyway because um really uh yeah it's sort of as andy says it sort of takes things back to basics and yeah i think i think it probably was a case of necessity as the mother of invention and Mm. uh and they bust out this really streamlined and stripped back another example i know of that happening uh i don't know if this is your bag but uh, a while back I interviewed uh, Ian Angus who used to be at Criterion and he said that that's basically what happened with uh, Criterion's version of Need for Speed Hot Pursuit um, oh, yeah, they right. ended up they ended up working on it for like two years and then chucking out what they'd done and then <clears throat> and then effectively knocking out this game um, in short order and Need for Speed Hot Pursuit is one of my favourite arcade races of all time and it and yeah it was it was made in under you know extreme time pressure and mm. and whatever else so yeah because a yeah. lot of people said it was a bit of a step back from paradise at the time because it mm. went back to like linear tracks and stuff but i much preferred it <laughs> well that's it because when they when they went back to that well with most wanted it the the reception i wouldn't say was overall nearly so positive exactly. so i think there's something to be said as, as cool as paradise was and <clears throat> we covered that one on cane rinse as well uh check it out listeners um i think you know it, it's not always the right the, any number of games in any number of genres have, have proven time and time again that just making more of the same or a bigger world does not necessarily for, you know, depending on your taste, does not necessarily make for a better experience. I'm thinking Batman here. Um, the amount of people who told us that the first uh, Arkham game was their favourite due to its tightness of design um, compared to the rest of the games in the series. Um, and I'm sure there are many, many other examples. I think even... Um, maybe comparing some of the GTA games to San Andreas. San Andreas just maybe was too sprawling in some ways for uh, for the amount of stuff that was in it. I don't know, but mm. but yeah, uh, what I am learning, as if I didn't know already, Andy, that uh, so far from your selections, I know that you like uh, walking into rooms and killing people messily. Mm. That's like what can I say? That's, Can't deny it, can you? Yeah, no. it's, it's two of my favourite hobbies. <laughs> Next up, we have a request from a community contributor of the forum, canarince.com slash forum. This is Sean S. Thomas. And this was a game that I don't think I'd thought about for about 20 years until uh, Sean requested the track. The composer I had, Alistair Brimble, because uh, I knew him from his work with Team 17 on uh, Alien Breed and uh, things like that. But this is actually from Z-Wolf, which was a a game that was by Binary Asylum late in the Amiga's life. Uh, And it was... Sort of like if you imagine uh, David Braben of Elite Fame made a game for the Acorn Archimedes called Zark, which then came out on the Amiga 
possibly the ST as well, but renamed Virus. Um, and it was this sort of very tricky to control, but visually impressive sort of 3D patchwork polygon landscape. And the Z-Wolf game is very much that, but where instead of a kind of spaceship, you're a helicopter. So it seemed to take influences from EA's very, very popular at this point, uh, Desert Strike and, and Jungle Strike series. Uh, so now you've got that in your head. Sean S. Thomas says, Z-Wolf was a bloody tricky game to control on Amiga, where you piloted a helicopter around. At the time, it had polygon-based graphics and looked amazing to my young eyes. So as you did back then, I persevered with the controls for far longer than I would nowadays. The theme was fun too. And here it is, main theme from Z-Wolf by Alistair Brimble. bit of Amiga. Have you got any recollection of Z-Wolf? No, of course I haven't got any recollection of Z-Wolf. I had a C64 and I went straight in NES and it was consoles ever since. I never did the Commodore uh, Amiga thing. Oh, it's alright. I know people who did. I played a Captain yeah. America game, on, not Captain America, Captain oh. Planet game on it once. Oh, It was terrible. Ouch. Yeah, see, that was an odd one because that was by Tony Crowther, who was a very famous, uh, successful Commodore 64 and Amiga uh, guy. But um, I think Captain Planet was probably boshed <laughs> together in about a, bridge a weekend. <laughs> making, yeah, that, making that playable was just too much for any man. <laughs> Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Yeah. Uh, I was reminded of some other um, 
sort of uh, there was just you know one of these facebook videos going around that said do you remember this cartoon i was like again i literally hadn't thought about it for 25 years and it was one of those saturday morning cartoons there's no punchline to this because i can't remember what it is uh it wasn't centurions it wasn't mask it was wasn't captain planet but it was along very much along those lines and it was like goodness me uh but like most uh young boys i carried on watching those until i was far too old to actually be watching uh those sorts of cartoons and that's no offense to our all our transformers loving <laughs> listeners out there uh i know there are many uh so we were talking killer instinct earlier yeah it's almost uh, like i have this like planned yeah i know it's good stuff uh the uh, so the first two seasons. See, this is an interesting game development wise as well to yeah. me. Anyway, um, so it was uh, it was made it was put together uh, by Double Helix with a little assistance from Rare, mm. uh, as I understand it, for the launch of the Xbox One. Yes. Since then, it's also come over to PC, and the development uh, at the start of season two, I think, was yeah, or short, shortly the start after the start, two. shortly after the start of season two, I think it might have been. Yeah is handed over to the excellent um, Iron Galaxy, mm. who I know best as um, the people who put together some absolutely fabulous uh, sort of Capcom fighting game versions yeah. for last generation of consoles. Yeah, they, so they did, did Third Strike, didn't they? They did Third Strike, and they did the Marvel Origins collection, mm. and they did the Darkstalkers uh, oh, pack, yeah, which, did, yeah, yeah. which was the last of those because it sold so badly, which is still a bugbear yeah. of mine because it meant we never got the Street Fighter Alpha one. Um, so I've dabbled with a little Killer Instinct. It was never my fighting game of choice because it's so... Well, back in the day, it was so... Um, it was a requirement that you had to learn these extraordinarily long sequences. Um, they were terrible the, games as well. Like the first okay. Two, one and the two. longest I ever managed to learn in a, in a fighting game was like a 10-hit string in Tekken. So, mm. um, so these sort of 30, 40, 50-hit combos were, were a bit much for me. But I've had fun dabbling with the free bits of Killer Instinct that I've played. But yeah. I find it interesting the way they've done this and they're, they're continuing to evolve it. It's into Season 3, it seems yeah. to be. Andy, you'll know much more about this than I, but it seems to be a bit of a fixture in the uh, in the fighting game community, certainly in the West, anyway. It's doing really well. Um, yeah, it's it's actually like one of the most underrated games out at the minute in terms of like genuinely being underrated. It's um, it's it, it lives in the shadow of things like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter for for you know for the obvious branding reasons and the fact mm. it's on the Xbox One, which really doesn't help it, and, and mm. certainly the current state of the fighting game community but killer instinct is um it is a fantastic and really really well balanced fighting game despite right. the fact it has the most varied cast of characters of any of yeah. them yeah um i mean it's got i mean for an example idol the final boss from the first game uh, he's just been added to it and he is equal parts the best zoning which means he can keep you away and the best rushdown which means you can get in your face character hmm. of all the characters in the game so how is that fair i hear you say um uh -huh. You yeah. have no control over which stance he's in because he's got his two heads, but uh, in in the plot, one of them is dead and he can only keep one of them alive at any one time. Oh. So it, it will randomly throughout the fight just change which one is alive. So you have to go with right. the, you have to kind of like adapt on the fly and go with the flow. He does have a special move where he punches himself in the face and it has Good. like a 40% chance of waking that head up. So you can you can try and force the issue. Does it do your damage as well? It does do your damage, and you can kill right. yourself with it. <laughs> Fabulous! But, uh, wow, yeah, that's 
some unusual stuff there. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's a, it's a really really fun fighting game, um, and completely different to the first two. It, it kind of yes. it, it, it's and it's built around doing big combos, but a lot of it's kind of automatic. It, that's something that you'd have to you'd have to play to see. But um, yeah, one of the things that's excellent about it is it has really cool uh, adaptive music. Uh, and most of this for seasons one and two was done by the aforementioned Mick Gordon. Yes. So as you play, as you do big combos and, uh, you know, get into like the danger zone where you could be finished and stuff, uh, the music, the tracks actually change. Uh, but because Mick went off to do Doom, mm. uh, they got in a, an act called Cell Dweller to do the music for Killer Instinct Season 3. And to be honest, I was a little bit concerned at first. And with the mm. first the first few bits I heard, uh, frankly, it isn't as good as the stuff that Mick Gordon did. But um, the character that I play as and the character I was really looking forward to the most, Tusk, um, who, uh, again, as a side, because I, I really like how they brought him in is uh, some of the killer, cause killer instinct two was set in the past. It was in like the stone age or something. It's oh. a terrible plot. You might've seen it. Um, they, um, the two characters that they brought back before Maya and Kim Wu, they're just like modern reinterpretations of the characters from that mm-hmm. game. But when they were revealing Tusk, they were like, Oh no, it's the same guy. He's immortal. <laughs> so oh, right. he's been around for thousands and thousands of years just fighting people with a big sword. Um, and they've written a themed song for him, which kind of captures the fact that at some point he was probably fighting alongside loads of Vikings. And it's a yes. big, like, Viking metal song. <laughs> yeah. um, that it's quite I- silly, if you don't yeah. mind me saying, but in a, yeah. a likeable way. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like really over the top. Um, yeah it kind of sounds like you know a a slowed down but somehow more epic version of like dragon forces music um it's 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 ridiculous but it's um it's actually got a life of its own because um it's so and i hate to use this word because people overuse it but it's so epic Mm -hmm. in terms of Mm -hmm. like the feelings it brings up as you've got this like Gregorian chanting going on over this kind of Iron Maiden style gallop as in the music, especially when you're doing big combos. Cause as I said, the music's adaptive to what's going on. So as you start like a big combo, it starts to b- speed up in pace to a right. kind of like a, and it starts galloping along as you do it. Nice. Um, and as you're on the back foot, it kind of slows down and gets a bit more ominous, but um What's happened in uh, some Killer Instinct tournaments is <laughs> you can select the stage music separately from the stage. Oh, really? And what some people have been doing in tournaments is if they go like two sets down and they're like close to being eliminated, they'll put on <laughs> Tusk's theme because right. it's like, this will be what helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you actually get people in the crowd, like especially if the guy in question is playing as Tusk, yeah. As he hits, they'll they, you know they'll go tusk tusk with every hit, and they'll <laughs> they'll do the you know this kind of oh along with the um, music and stuff like that, and it's yeah it's become like a bit of a fixture in the um, Killer Instinct scene as well. Like it's such a ridiculous piece of music, but um, yeah, it's kind of like it's all your favorite OTT power metal bands, like what they call those guys who do Hammerfell the. World of Warcraft fans and stuff like that, and Dragon okay. Force. It's all kind of music like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And actually, you know, uh, the way it fits the game does really 
fit the character as well. He's a big Viking-looking guy yeah. with a sword that takes up three quarters of the screen when he presses attack buttons. All right, let's hear it. Uh, not Fleetwood Mac, theme of Tusk, though. The Immortal Swordsman.
Yorp, indeed. Mm. Um, Andy, you're you're a musician, aren't you? You're in a band. Yes. Still, still rocking. <laughs> Sorry, sounding like an old man. Yeah, sometimes we do. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're a fresh metal band called The Quarry. We're on Spotify. Most Check of, them out. We sound a bit. Yeah. Sound a bit like what you just heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what was. That was that's what made me think of it. Uh, I'd like to. Uh, um, you could get some choirs in. I'm thinking we could um, get some choirs, and that would be excellent. But yeah, yeah, it's um, it's good fun. Like it's it's that perfect blend of music where like um, where complicated enough in terms of what you have to play that you don't get bored it's not like playing like you know three chord punk music where you just you mm. know it's you know so there's a little bit of to it where you've got kind of you've got to be on your game when you play them that kind of music but at the same yeah. time we're not jazz we're not too complicated that you've sure. got to have your bass up by, yeah i don't have to have my bass up by my nipples and i've got to be looking at my fretboard the entire time i can have it hung just below my balls and yeah. can play most a good chunk of it with one hand so my other hand can be you know doing a claw devil horns and yeah. gesturing towards the damning sky and stuff like that uh but then occasionally i have to like do a concentrating face probably stick my tongue out and actually look at what i'm doing yeah. and um and that, that that's kind of the, the right place i like to be it's somewhere between actually being talented and being completely useless and uh, and this new job, um, so I think, um, well, it's sort of relevant, isn't it? Uh, in in yeah, in a way. yeah, it is. Um, there's uh, two bars in London, which I'm sure you, some of you know, uh, the loading bars. Uh, they've got now two bars, one in Dalston and one in Stratford, and I have basically been brought on to kind of like help out with like the event side of things and now they're signed off as a retailer so they can sell games speaking to the... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, we did a No Man's Sky launch where we were selling the game there and... Uh, obviously like you know doing drinks deals and stuff of it because we could do that where game can't um yeah which is obviously no, i definitely don't want to ever see game selling alcohol no no exactly it would be terrible but you know it, it's, it's kind of fun because like we've, we've you know i speak to a lot of the publishers about doing stuff with them and building those relationships and uh i mean yeah. obviously i know these some of these people from doing my writing too uh which i'm also now like full-time freelance if any editors are listening to this um but uh, the other thing andy hero on twitter <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it's kind of fun and it's like i mean i guess one of the one of the things is is like if you go to a midnight launch of a game i mean what is your experience you go there you stand in a sterile shopping center for anything up to a couple of hours in a queue mm. wait maybe meet a minor celebrity who they've rolled out for the night get your copy after midnight, go home, play it for an hour and realise you've got to be up for work in the morning. Yeah, or that sounds very you could familiar. come to an excellent series of bars, get completely mm. steaming and buy it and do more fun things. So, mm. um, you know... It does sound appealing. It is way yeah. better. Like, the No Man's Sky one was a lot of fun and we just did a... a, a what's, I've completely forgotten its name, the new Devolver title, uh, Mother Russia Bleeds, which right. was a lot of fun as well. And we were selling the game... Uh, the steam code printed on vodka bottles. So you bought a bottle of vodka <laughs> and the steam code was printed on the front of it. Good idea. I'm, like sure, I'm not sure Devolver officially were signing off on that, but that's how we were selling their game. Ah. Well, they <laughs> may find out now. Um, yeah, so because I tweeted the, the, the well, whatever the 
the, the main uh, account is a while back and said, please open one of these in Brighton. And uh, the response was along the lines of, uh, it's one of the places we're looking at. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that is one of the places we're looking at. Yeah, that's great news. Um, mm. it, I think it would go down a storm. Although, having said that, there's virtually... Well, maybe because there's virtually no video game shops left. I mean, I could lament the, the, the situation. Uh, you know, I grew up in this town. I'm still here because I love it. But um, it was a town absolutely jam-packed with arcades from the uh, late 70s to the mid-90s. And now there are but two, I think, left. And it was a shop that was then absolutely jam-packed with video game stores, both, you know, new and second-hand. There were literally sort of 15 different outlets you could get games from and compare prices and play off against one another and now there are literally there is game and there is hmv and that is yeah that's pretty much the case everywhere i guess that's one of the the reasons why like you know we're having a bit of fun with my current job is like it it, it is it is a, a different thing it's something that no one else is doing i guess but it's you know kind of tying that you know like you always hear like members of the press idiots like me Hey, I went to the like Overwatch yep. launch event, and then you're like, "Well, could my mate go?" Yeah, is your mate a games journalist? No, well, obviously not. Then it's it's kind of like giving that kind of fun and the the whole spreading it around, getting excited about yeah, they're kind of getting excited about a game coming out and everyone having a laugh and yeah, and making it accessible to everyone essentially and um hopefully they buy loads of drinks but yeah no that sounds like a, a lot of fun I, I look forward to you branching out into into this town and maybe we can do some work together mm. loading bar people um now this next track uh requested by the green flea i i feel like is something that uh goes fits with uh with some of your requests uh, I, I, know, I know this one well <laughs> yeah i thought you might uh, the Green Flea says, when I was in grade school, my friend got Command and Conquer for his PC and invited me to play. Once I got a small taste, I was hooked. The alternate reality where Albert Einstein goes back in time and kills Adolf Hitler, but World War II still occurs with Axis versus, uh, Allies versus Axis, but with Joseph Stalin leading the war this time, was an enthralling concept to me. You got to choose either to be one of the Allies or Axis at the beginning, and being the good guy, I hope to be in all things. I chose Allies. The mission briefings were the best part with good acting, Mm-hmm. And a great story besides the battles. After I finished the game, I needed more and immediately replayed as the Axis, which mission briefings were even better. Much more drama, intrigue, internal power struggles, sexual suggestions. When that was done, I played the expansion packs, nowadays DLC, I suppose, which weren't nearly as good, but a welcome addition, like a man in a desert given a glass of water. There was even a secret mode in the Counter-Strike pack that allowed you to do a whole campaign where you fought giant ants like in the movie Them. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten Yeah. That. Uh, as for the song, uh, the whole score was composed by Frank Klepacki, Klepacki, and it fits the game perfectly. This is the only game I remember playing that allowed you to choose the songs you wanted to play as you played the game, and I always chose to play Hell March. I imagine the opening of the songs, a German soldier shouting directions to a marching platoon, though I can't be sure on either account, and then roars like a lion and basically never stops. I still play the soundtrack on its own every now and then because it's simply that good.
another six minutes of ear bleeding metal, sort of, um, with with caveats. And also, there's a that, that that bit kind of stops and goes a bit mellow for a second, and then kicks right back in. Well, you know, you just heard it. Yeah. Uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert. PC and PS1, 1996. Um, I never completed a single Command & Conquer game. I always got bogged down by their their difficulty. Um, mm. As much as I enjoyed the the the, sh- the shoving around of the little troops and the you know commanding the the sprites to their doom, I always felt like I was on the back foot. I think a lot of those levels they were more. Whereas the multiplayer game. It was. It became very much about tank rushing and and uh, building resources as fast as possible. The single player levels were kind of designed to be more like puzzles, weren't they? Where there was kind of a solution to each one. Yeah. If if you knew it, once you played it a few times, you kind of worked out what you needed to have at what points, and that doesn't appeal to me so much. I wanted a bit more flexibility. Oh, man, I, I'm terrible at Command & Conquer games, both aspects of it. The multiplayer is largely unplayable for me because I can't. <laughs> tank rush or yeah build orders and stuff like that and the the single player for that reason the fact that there was like a there was a way you could do it yeah and a lot and some of it was even knowing the game well enough which i didn't or trial and error and kind of going all right Mm. i figured out like it just it wasn't my cup of tea however uh, a friend of mine who i used to live with him like the first person i started playing music with um uh he was well into Command and Conquer, and me and him, his guy, name's Mike. He actually went on to be in Larue for a bit before doing his own thing, which is he's oh, uh, um, a Fort Rameau, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, and is quite celebrated as being good at what he does. Mm. Um, but he, um, uh, me and him, used to play bass and guitar in his dad's office, and one of the things that we did play was Hell March. Fantastic. From Command and Conquer, so I actually can play that bass that I can still play that to this day. It's one of like, like the riding a bike. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't tell you what notes they are to this day, but I can certainly do it. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those things by uh, Hell March. It's it's the only one I can still remember from Command and Conquer, but it's pretty legit. Uh, so you weren't any good at Command and Conquer by your own omission, but a game that I know you take very seriously. Although I'm sure, in the grand scheme of things, compared to the top tier echelon players, you uh, maybe you couldn't hold your own. I don't know. Tell me what if that's you, not what the case. are you trying to say? Uh, I'm just saying they're they're superhuman alien. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and most most humans can't, no matter how much they play. But I know uh, in recent years you've become more and more immersed in the fighting game community, and mm. in particular the world of Street Fighter, something I also love. We also had you on the uh, the Street Fighter Alpha Zero series podcast mm. on Kane and Rince, um, taking things back further. Someday we'll carry on with that series. We might do uh, the three series and then the four series, and then who knows, the five series or whatever, well, Whatever it turns out to be. Whatever it turns out to be. But, um, yeah, so sum up the first, how many months are we in now? So it's February, wasn't it? It's We're like now six, six, seven months, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're getting ha- there. Ha- how, how are you feeling about Street Fighter Five overall? Well, it's literally the best video game ever made. So, like, I mean, if that sort of sets the tone. Um, I don't know. I think that, like, a lot of the complaints are made by people who didn't really know what they wanted. Um, I mean, I've made this comparison a million times, but, like, if you go out and buy a football from, like, Sports Direct, like, we can go and have a kickabout, but it doesn't come with a full Premier League season for you to take part in. Yeah. Like, don't complain about the story mode in the fighting game. It's 2016, esports are massive. Like, Street Fighter Five is a tool to get, yeah. to improve and 
take part in competition with and that's all it should be viewed as and that's all every fighting game should be viewed as and if you don't think that you're getting your worth out your 50 pound worth out that, i'm afraid it's not it's not a game for you it mm. is a game that that 50 quid you buy in the same way that you buy a football and some goalkeeper gloves and go down the park like you buy street fighter 5 and that is your in to this world which sure. is watching fighting games being played by the best players um I mean, I think the game maybe could have done a better job of explaining that side of things, but mm. I think that the money would have been better spent on going deeper into the competitive side of it than making the half-hour story mode that we actually got in the end. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, the other thing as well is like people are talking about lack of content. It's like, yeah, they always said they were going to do a season pass. They never said those characters were going to be free. They were, they were mm. going to be free. They said that you could buy some of them with the points. Mm-hmm. But like you were never expected to buy them all, so here we are. You've got a season pass. The game's been out eight months, and we're about to get the sixth DLC character, fully fle- fully features. Uh, there's been a story mode added. I mean, I can't think of a game that's had this much content in such a short amount of time. Normally, mm. you wait like a year to get stuff like this. So I think that a lot of the complaints are silly um, and are from people who are thinking about fighting games in the old way where most people played an arcade mode. Mm. Give me a break. In Street Fighter 4, in the eight years I had it and all the different formats I had it on, which was literally everything, I maybe Mm. finished arcade mode five times. Like across all yeah. those formats, it's just it's not why I play these games. So I I think a lot of the complaints are silly. I'm with you to a point, um, and like I understand the the focus has changed, and I you know I I I bought this day one. I've not played it nearly enough, but what I have played, I've thoroughly enjoyed, um, and that is uh you know the single player stuff is is almost completely redundant. Yeah, uh, as you say, other than training mode, if you want to get good mm. um but i do understand that i i suppose people have been out of the loop um maybe sort of and and also because street fighter 4 did still have um that you know the series as a whole mm. um right up to ultra did still have what people consider to be the traditional minimum for a fighting game yeah. to have so, so i think it's more about exp- era of that well true it's from exactly. 2009 isn't it originally exactly, um, yeah, before you know, any of this yeah. esports things came to the fore. You know, it's yeah. we are living in a different world. I think that, you know, it's it has to be looked at in a different way. Yeah, again, playing devil's advocate slightly, but mm. I wonder if you compare it to say StarCraft to where they actually um obviously that's fundamentally based the success of that game is based around esports, but they still did put in um substantial and enjoyable single player campaigns mm. for for those people who still enjoy the the mechanics of that game but yeah, don't necessarily want to they've also got a lot more venture money. out <laughs> yeah yeah well that's yeah that's true i know we know that sony contributed something mm. um, towards street fighter 5 but yeah and and i don't know how i feel i mean you know, i'm i'm happy enough i've got a ps4 uh, and i've got a pc but yeah. um but i think the exclusivity perhaps even if the xbox one is currently you know in third place or whatever as formats go um the fact that it's not there kind of makes it feel slightly somehow less uh, all encompassing than Street Fighter Four did, which which ended up on uh, you know four or five formats. Uh, actually, more if you include like the 3DS version stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I I do understand why perhaps it hasn't been embraced, but I think you know the great thing is as somebody who 
paid full price for it, bought it digitally day one and, and intends to still play it a lot more, bought an arcade stick for it and everything because um, I didn't have a PS4 one, uh, is that the actual response to the game from the fighting game community is extremely positive. Yeah, it's, it, for my money, it's the best of the bunch. I mean, like, Third Strike is obviously brilliant. Yeah. But it's also got a much greater entry level... Um, yes, and again, that's fine. But I think that one of the things that Street Fighter Five does really well is, um, like for instance, Daigo won his third tournament of the year today, right? Mm. And like some of these tournaments he's won in the last month, he's won the three in the last month. But mm. some of these tournaments he's won, he's won using combos that are literally in the trials mode you can do with Ryu. Like, it, right. Like, and, and this is stuff that you can practice the game for an hour and be able to do. So it, 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 this game, because it's got somewhat easier, um, uh, in, in, uh, what's the word? Execution is easier, yeah. and yeah. Um, the like. The entry level is a little bit lower. Uh, mm. it, it becomes less about oh my god, that was an amazing combo, and it becomes more about did you see the way he used that combo, mm. and the difference between the elite player and. Like people, players like me who are you know enthusiastic and really into it, 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 it becomes less about this like godlike execution. As much as there is a time and a place for that, look at King of the Fighters, but um, it becomes more about like this kind of this meta game, understanding the the character they're playing against, the player who's playing the character yeah. against, yeah. and sometimes these amazing moments of like sheer understanding of the game and ability coming together to do something i mean like we all we all know if you stick the if you stick a football 30 yards away from a goal and tell us to kick it at an empty net like we can probably both do it right but like haven't tried when, for a long time exactly, maybe, maybe 12 years yeah me, me neither but you know what i'm saying but like <laughs> but then you watch someone like Pyatt place it perfectly in like a football-sized circle yes, in yes, the corner yes. of the goal, exactly, a, a yeah. inches away from the fingertips of someone who's actively trying to stop it. And then you're yeah. like, well, he did the same thing. We both kicked the football. It's just yeah. how he did it, how mm. he... And I think that that's the, the thing which is really good about Street Fighter Five is that, yes, it does have a, lim- a more limited tool set to other fighting games, but it kind of goes, right, you've got a limited tool set. What are you going to do with it? You still have to do stuff with it. And um, I think that that is um, a much more inviting video game than a lot of other fighting games. Um, Yeah, anyway, uh, one of the new characters is uh, new to the series, that is, Rashid. Uh, He's a kind of goofball. And uh, and we also had a request uh, for this. Uh, This is his theme. What what is it you particularly like about this one from the Street Fighter V music canon? Well, this is is the the song of 2016 in video games. Right. Everything I said about um, Tusk's theme being part of the Killer Instinct community is is tenfold with Rashid's theme. Right. Rashid as a character, um he was considered fairly low tier. Um he has got many ways to mix you up and cause you to guess. And if you guess wrong you're in trouble, but he doesn't do a lot of damage. But in the last few months, a couple of players have come out of the woodwork woodwork who are doing some ridiculous stuff with him and he's become like super exciting to watch. Because he's mm. really active, he's constantly moving. Even his idle yeah. animation, he's moving around. And um, like this theme tune, like completely captures what it's like to have a, like a successful Rashid match. 
And right. it's kind of like this dance song that builds, and it's got a, like a slight Eastern influence, obviously, because it's Street Fighter. So they they always have you know the character's nationality well and yeah. truly on display. So it's got a little bit of banger in there as well, and it kind of builds and it builds and it builds and it hits its climax, which is exactly when you want to hit his ultra, <laughs> if you really mm. want to show it, where it plays. Uh, it, they, no, it's worth knowing. No one else in the game has any lyrics in their music. Rashid has one lyric in his music and it is his it's his name yeah <laughs> the game just decides to go rashid and just delivers that <laughs> perfectly it's the best um loads of rashid players from this young guy who's just won recently his name's escaped me to alex Valle, street fighter legend uh if they win they will probably sing rashid's theme they have been known to do so on stream and do his win pose um, nice. he's the most hyped character in the game and has a theme tune that suits him down to the ground it's absolutely brilliant
Bonds by Hideyuki Fukusawa, and uh, he is known for his work on the uh, modern Capcom fighting games, including yeah. uh, MVC3 and uh, Ultimate, of course, and Street Fighter Cross Tekken, mm. uh, as well as the Street Fighter 4 series. Goes back as far as uh, Chaos Legion, that was his first one, mm. um, and he worked on the Onimusha series a bit as well. Now we have something else from Japan, but this is completely different, uh, segueing into Andy's last selection, which will be our ninth track. But our eighth is uh, requested by Craig. And Craig says, when I was a teenager, GameCube was in its prime. Relatively speaking, though, that still meant a while between releases at times. So when I heard of a weird new game was coming called Dushing the Giant, I was immediately interested. What made things even better was that this was only coming to Europe in the West. It seemed at the time that we were getting this cool, weird god sim. And instead, America was getting some game about animals that looked like an N64 game. Clearly, we were getting a better deal, and Animal Crossing released in the UK in a few years anyway. All things considered, I hyped myself up for this game and convinced myself I was going to enjoy it. And then when it came out, well, I was confused. Not really sure what to do or what the point of the game was, I didn't get very far before I shelved it, disappointed but unable to really admit it to myself. Years later, and the internet being so prominent in documenting games, I decided to check out some videos to see if I could work out what the hell it was all about. Not really, I'm still confused but it's got some wonderful music.
first time we've featured a pick from uh, Doshin the Giant, and uh, that is by Tatsuhiko Asano. Uh, and the only sort of biog I can find for Asano-san is that he was born in the Gifu Prefecture of Japan in 1966. He began playing guitar and home recording at the age of 14. At the age of 16, he joined a brass band and learned percussion. He moved to Tokyo at the age of 21 in order to study fine arts, uh, where he participated in various bands, and in 2000, he composed music for Dushin the Giant. And that's all we know about him. Um, so it's from the album, I think, In the Wake of Doshin, comma, The Giant. <laughs> yeah, so uh, an interesting one, that, and a very odd but likeable piece of music, I thought, from a game I've not played. But I know that our Darren, Darren Gargett, who uh, who does like his Nintendo Curios, is very familiar with Doshin. I'm not sure if Doshin's on the big list of Kane and Rince games we may cover, uh, but that would be an odd one to do. Mm. Who knows? Who knows if they'll ever bring him out of Doshin out of retirement? I don't think he's even popped up as like a like a. a and actually, he's definitely a trophy in in the Smash games. Yeah, that's about to say. I think he was in the latest Smash Brothers yeah. in some way, but that's about it. That is about it. Yeah, he's an odd one. He's got a little prominent sticky outy belly mm. button, which is odd. Yeah. Uh, no, with no offence to all the outy belly button owners out there. Uh, remember, do please venture over to our forum uh, for lots of reasons but also, in this case, mainly to request music. So that's canerince.com slash forum. You can also follow us and at us on Twitter at canerince. If you use the hashtag sound of play, we're more likely to see it and remember it that it's for this podcast. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash canerince. Give it a like if you're on Facebook uh, for all its evils. We have a good page there where we share video games news and disseminate interesting nuggets from around the internet but yeah mainly request your favorite tracks or other curios and we'll continue to include them in the sound of play podcasts please subscribe to the podcast sound of play and cana rinse if you like leave us an itunes review if you want or just a rating would be fine um we also have a patreon at patreon.com slash cana rinse so if you think that uh, the various things that we put in your ears every week sound of play and cana rinse uh, are worth anything you could donate a dollar a month or whatever you think so uh andy thanks for coming on it's no been worries. fascinating to chat we've still got one track to uh, introduce but uh but until then is there anything other than yourself uh, for your freelance work um, yeah. but you can do that again but anything yeah. else you want to plug if you the follow bar? me f- yeah probably should do that if you follow me um on twitter it's andi hero andy hero that that is where i do all of my business he is nowhere for, else yeah for good and for bad um the bars are both in london there's one in dalston and one in stratford uh if you come to those to get steaming try and beat me on street fighter you won't be try um mm, it's a challenge I, i'm always up for a game if someone challenges me because you get a lot of that one of the things that you'll find working in the bar is everyone is really good at street fighter everyone's really good at tekken everyone's really good at soul caliber but yeah. here's a secret for you mm. no one no one actually is well, maybe right. one a month you get someone who you're like, oh, yeah. shit. You know, I can imagine you know, that. You, know, you do yeah. know how to play this. <laughs> but, I um, never say I'm good. I mean, it's just you're on hiding to nothing. Like, I, I, I generally put myself down, generally because it's true. But, like, when we did do it, we had a, a, a sort of cane rinse game night of Ultra a while back. And I more than held my own with my blanker. I was... Mm. I was taking people out left right and center had a, like an eight or nine streak now i don't know exactly the quality of the people i was playing against but the thing is because i had gone in saying i'm rubbish it was brilliant <laughs> now you get it all the time you get people going up with their mates oh it's street fighter i'm really good at this mm. and all that goes from mind is are you and i'll just i'll just peek my head over and have a look yeah nah nah you're not you're not nah. mate 
you know, sorry, no. but um, yeah, both the bars come to those. They're good fun, um, and we do. We're doing loads of cool stuff at the minute, and we're about mm. to hit silly seasons, on, aren't we? So there will be more silly stuff and more cool stuff going on. Um, I think we've got some really, really excellent stuff planned for Halloween. I can't talk about yet, Ooh. but if you're in the area, you should definitely show up for that. Um, well, what else have we got on uh, that I need to plug? Midnight Resistance. Yeah, I, yeah I'll, sure. I'll be on that one day. MidnightResistance.co.uk. We've had a yeah. new website designed, and. Um, uh, none of the pictures work on it yet, but they will oh, one day, I promise. I seen and that, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got some really cool things planned for uh, December this year because we always do like a themed month. Mm. Um, and I think we'll probably be announcing that now so we can actually get some people to contribute this year and um, you know keep this into cool. the podcast because I think it's way better to listen to now I'm not on it. So, and that's not me putting myself down. It's just that like you try listening back to a podcast that you are on, like. Ugh. So. Yeah, that's that. That is it. I, I feel like that because I I take you know every few shows off Kane and Rince um, for time and because we also we want to cover games that I haven't played, for instance. So mm. I always get the pleasure of listening to the show when I'm not on it, and uh, yeah, it's a treat. But yes, I I also recommend Midnight Resistance for a show that is completely nothing like Kane and Rince, uh, although it is like that in that they are also video game experts. Uh, who can dissect the heck out of out of games? Uh, so yes. Thanks again, Andy. Now we uh, conclude with the track. Now we featured the very famous Game Boy version of this before, uh, which is uh, famous mainly for being featured on a Zanussi advert uh, yeah. on the TV. Um, but this uh, you've brought rather wonderfully the uh, the fabulous uh, Commodore sixty four version of the RoboCop theme. So this must be from your your youth. Andy. Yeah, it's one of the first video games I've ever played. Right. In fact, it is kind of the first video game I ever played. So a friend of mine had a NES, um, but I never really played on that because he was a little bit older than me and I've just got vague memories of being sat in his house while he or his older brother were play- was playing the NES, which is why like some of my first gaming memories are Zelda and Super Mario Brothers. Uh-huh. But the first thing that we had in our house was this Commodore 64 and it came with a bunch of like light gun taps Mm. Um, mm. it was like a box set that came with a bunch of light gun stuff and um, it had like a couple of like games like one was called Time Traveller mm. it's like, shoot some things in different time zones basically mm. but one of the games that was in it was called it was by Ocean and it was called Blaze Out and it was basically like this bizarre compilation of a load of their licensed games where they'd retrofitted levels from the game to work with the light gun. Of course, because there was the first-person target shooting game in Robocop. Yeah, you know the, the first boss? You to yes. Sh- it's the bit from the film where, you, where Robocop shoots the lad in the balls through the dress. Of course. Well, that was level one, but it meant that Blaze Out itself started with this Robocop title music. Ah. And it was only Marvelous. years later when I actually got Robocop on the C64 because it, it was Robocop. But when I, yeah. I, it was like three ninety nine and cassette. It was another, it was like maybe Ocean or Kicks release. I think it was Ocean, yeah. It was Hit Squad. Hit Squad. would have been the uh, Ocean was, budget label. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Yeah, it was on Hit Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it. It was Robocop. And again, the title screen came up and it was yeah. you know this theme. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, nice. of course. And then at the end of level one, you do that exact bit. But instead of using the light gun, you just move the cursor with the joystick. Yeah. Uh, and it was way easier because so, yes. you could just hold it over um, the guy's balls, basically, yeah. and shoot him. But um, the thing that, as years have gone on, that's still confusing me to this day is like, if you were making a Robocop video game, <laughs> 
and mm. you had to pick the title music for it, you'd go with da 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 da. da. You'd go with the RoboCop theme, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how often that didn't happen. Back it's, then. it's like the most, like it's my favourite theme tune. Like Superman, get in the bin. <laughs> Danny Elfman's Batman theme, goodbye. Indiana Jones, poof, come on now. The RoboCop theme is the best piece of music in any cinematic endeavor. <laughs> and I think that, like, it's a bit bizarre that they made this RoboCop video game. And instead of choosing that, they've they've instead wrote this bit of music that really captures the mm. the humanity of the character RoboCop. Because it's he's a he's a tragic figure. He still Nothing. remembers his wife and kids, but he mm. can't remember they're 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 a haze, they're a mist in his he mind. He can feel them but he can't remember. Exactly. Mm. And this title music mm. it really captures the sadness, the melancholy, yeah. the me- and and then like, did, can you remember the high scoreboard for the game? I played the coin op more than the home versions. I did right. have the Amiga version, but well, well, the high scoreboard, all of the. I, I mean, I've been looking for a screenshot of this for years. I probably just need to emulate it and take one myself. But like, yeah. the high score. If you just left it on a track mode, it was RoboCop, and then a bit of text, yeah, and then it would be the high scoreboard, and then RoboCop, and it would loop, and it never showed you any footage of the game, and the whole time it was just playing this music over and over again just on a, just repeating the whole the whole thing um but the high school board like number 1 alienation <laughs> number 2 despair three no way tragedy like it was all like words of like utter you know <laughs> like just like the like the worst human emotions basically oh. and it just yeah no, i never I mean, knew I, that man it's just something that stuck with me for years just that That's this, so weird. this weird thing about this like really like somber and emo- and do you know what it reminds me a little bit of the solo to purple rain as well mm. like mm. in terms of like this proper emotional piece of music um and it's just it it's bizarrely stuck at the front of the licensed RoboCop movie tie-in on the Commodore 64. Yeah, I haven't really thought about this, but I know sometimes that it would be the case that for whatever reason the the licensing the license holders would give out the license to the movie, but but not Basil Polidurus music because maybe it was on a like a you know because they'd license it to the record label or something like that. Could be uh, something along those lines. I wonder. Obviously, uh, Jonathan Dunn, you know, is a uh, was a. A uh, very um, decorated and respected uh, composer, but yes, in terms of you would have maybe imagined that he'd have gone for something that was like six notes of the yeah, theme, and then t- and then changed on the seventh or something like that. But uh, but no, he went for this completely different, but now very very famous piece. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Andy. It's been fun to talk, and we'll uh, leave our listeners with this: the RoboCop title theme from the Commodore sixty four. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>